life. So, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick up where we left off, and uh, we are going to endeavor to finish this this morning. So starting where we uh, left off in verse 13, 6th chapter. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can get one in your hand. It should be marked with Ephesians 6. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray again. Lord, we just ask now again, Lord, we could never pray too much for the work of your Spirit. Speak. May your word be magnified. May we be humbled, but also brought near to you, instructed by you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at God's desire, because we last week, Sunday was Christmas Eve, so uh, we took that one week off from this text. But two weeks ago, we looked at God's desire for us to be strengthened and see victory, but we also looked at the reality that we have a ferocious enemy, don't we? In addition to our own bothersome flesh. And all this enemy we have is in the spiritual realm. We can't see it, can we? We can't see what's going on in the spirit world. Jesus could see both. He could see the spiritual and the physical realm, but we can't see it. We looked at the fact that despite our adversary, uh, despite our adversary, that is, and our own inability, God guarantees our safe passage and a victorious finish if we follow His plan. Don't you want to have safe passage? Don't you want to make it through? The whole book of Pilgrim's Progress was written about that, right? That God, we have to follow His plan. And today we'll examine how to apply that plan. So we're looking today at this applying the armor, if you're taking notes, the second part uh, in this series. And the first thing we want to look at, even before we look at the armor itself, is just kind of a touch point to two weeks ago as well. We spent a good deal of time understanding the imperative to stand. The imperative, God wants you to stand. He doesn't want you to collapse. He doesn't want you to fall. He doesn't want you to fall back. To stand has been referred to as the chief admonition of this passage by many pastors and theologians. They've looked at it. To stand seems to be the chief admonition that God is telling his church to stand up, to lift the banner of the Lord, to stand up even when it's hard to stand up against at times the weakness and fatigue of our own human frame. You ever felt tired? Seemingly insurmountable odds. Sometimes the odds are stacked against us. And spiritual attacks to boot. You know, when we're actually getting attacked 
and all that's going on, and we're still told to stand. And we're told to resist. Resist him. Resist the enemy. To stand firm, to defend against the attacks of life and the spiritual forces, but to do it with spiritual armor. Not going to, yeah, life lock can't help with this, right? A weapon can't help with this. Well, I'm, I have a concealed carry permit. The enemy's not impressed by that. None of that helps. You need spiritual armor. John Stott said, beneath the surface, an unseen spiritual battle is raging. Great man of God. We can't see it. But even though we can't see the spiritual battle, those of you who've been saved any length of time, you sometimes can feel it, can't you? Is that true? You can't see the spiritual battle, but boy, you can feel it in the spiritual, you feel it uh, fighting against it. Sometimes you can literally feel it in your body. The attacks are real. And without God's help, we have no chance. Satan, as a created being, is far more powerful than we are. All the demonic forces, we have no chance without the Lord's help. But God wants us to become steadfast and immovable. That's not easy to do, is it? Steadfast and immovable. And the armor of God is the means, and he's given it by his spirit and his grace. And the first thing to understand is that the armor of God is not something that we need to create or manufacture. That's good news, isn't it? We don't have to make the armor of God. But rather, we're simply to apply it. It's already there. We're just to apply it. He has already supplied it. Now we say, Lord, now you've given. We will now put it on. Remember David? Do you realize that Saul's armor was not the armor God wanted for David? The armor that David got couldn't be seen, right? It was God's armor. It was invisible armor. God says, you're getting five little smooth stones, and you're only going to use one. But the armor I'm going to give you, Saul's armor isn't going to work. You need the armor of God. The armor of God is not made up of physical objects. We can't put our hands on it. We can't hold it. It's spiritual nature, and it only comes to us by abiding in Jesus. We have to abide in him for this armor. A tree, think about a tree. A tree does not put bark on itself, right? A tree never says, I am going to bark myself today. I'm going to clothe myself in bark. I'm going to become impenetrable. No, the bark is applied as the tree is rooted, and it starts to form, and God places an armor around us. God in his wisdom has mandated that spiritual warfare is both inevitable, yes, we'll still have it in 2018, it's inevitable and needful in our life. We don't always like that, do we? Needful, inevitable, but it is. There's no way for Christians to avoid it, only to prepare for it. I mentioned Pastor Joe Foch this morning, which just because the Eagle Church reminded me of Joe and uh, but I had uh, mentioned a few weeks ago is Pastor Joe who said when I was listening to his study on Lamentations, spiritual progress is impossible without spiritual warfare. There is no spiritual progress without spiritual warfare. You may not say, yippee to that, nor do I. And yet at the same time, God says, this 
is my plan. I'm going to bring you through things. That makes you stronger. That makes you more mature. That makes you more dependent on Jesus. I'll tell you this. I am way less confident in myself than I was 20 years ago. I'm less confident in myself than I was five years ago. I'm less confident in myself than I was five months ago. I don't have any confidence. When I was young, I had a lot of confidence. I, I could tell you stories that, uh, where I got humbled, but I still didn't get humbled even when I got humbled. <laughs> I just thought that was just a bad moment. <laughs> just take this one by the horns next time, and we'll not let that happen again. You know, I love, you know, watching old clips of Muhammad. I'm a bad man, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you see the, the, the confidence, and we, we're drawn to that with people, aren't we? And yet it really is a thin veneer. It has no spiritual power. It, it can help you if God allows you to kind of do it, to, to perform well in certain settings, public speaking, sports, stuff like that, but it, it's of no value in real spiritual warfare. Now let's go through each piece of armor and how it's applied in our life. We'll start first, as it's listed here, gird with truth. Gird with truth, if you're taking notes. A spiritual armor Called here the belt of truth, having girded your waist with truth, um, which we know to be a belt. It would have uh, the Roman armor that would have been there that would cover the loins and all of that area. The sword would be sheathed right there on that same uh, on that same belt. But truth, in fact, is absolute truth of God. The truth we're talking about is the absolute truth that comes from God. It's to be at the center of our life. The reason why we center the Word as primary, we love worship, but the Word is primary here because the Word is the truth. The truth is what sets men free. The truth is what breaks our misconceptions. The truth is what breaks down walls. The truth has to be at the center of our life. We base our entire life on obeying the truth of God. If truth of God is not true, if the life of Christ his perfection, his death and resurrection isn't true, then as Paul said, we're the most to be pitied. We are really wasting our time, aren't we? You might as well go back, you know, up to Times Square and party with everybody, right? But we're standing on the truth. We're looking to the truth for guidance and protection. Jesus said he is the way and what? The truth. He said that's one of his names. He said he is the truth. To put on the belt of truth is to put on Christ. That's what it means. To put on the belt, belt of truth is to put on Christ. And to do it every single day. Every day we have to re-put on the Lord. Now, if you're saved, yes, he lives in your heart, but you still have to put on the truth of Christ. Say, Lord, I'm going to walk in you. Romans 13, 14 says it this way. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You know when we put on truth, we put on Christ... You can't really just dive into sin. When you put on Christ, you have a protection against it. You have a dislike for it. Not a dislike for sinners. We love sinners. But we don't. I, I'm not envious of the sins I used to be involved in. Are you? You want to go back there again? I went to college. I used to hang out on South Beach. That's where we went to college and stuff. I'm not envious of the things we used to do and see and think were great. We put on Christ. No provision for the flesh. The belt is also at the center of our bodies, isn't it? The belt's at the center of our body. 
it holds all the other garments in place. We're thankful for that. And if Christ and his... <laughs> yeah, it's practical too, people. <laughs> These things are practical. Ask the Roman soldiers. They, they needed that belt, you know. And if Christ and his truth is at the center of our lives and it's at the center of this church, it holds everything in place, doesn't it? If the truth is at the center of our life, the center of this church, it holds everything in place. Aren't you glad that Jesus holds it all in place? It's what he's saying. He's saying, make sure you center it first on me. There's that song, Jesus at the center. Now, tr there are truths in life. There are a lot of truths in life that range from basic information, right? You can read some basic truths, and they're true, to very helpful Truths. Okay. Some truths are very helpful. But God wants us to focus on the true truths of Christ and His commandments because the true truths of the Lord are transformational. All you could read, you could read on Wikipedia for hours, but it's not transformational. Well, I, I learned a lot of true facts. We hear a lot about fake news and all that stuff. Even if you get real news and let real news isn't transformational. The news of Jesus is. There's a big difference. God wants us to focus on those truths in our lives. Simple question we can ask ourselves. Is my current thinking, is your current thinking, aligned with the truth that Jesus spoke and lived out, or am I focused on less important truths, or worse, things that aren't even true? Right? Is my mind focused on the truths of Jesus Christ, or far less important truths, or worse, no truths at all. There's so many things that in the tide of our culture that people are focused on, rather, the reason why you need to be here today on the last day of the year and the first day of the year to start the year is we need to always keep being reminded of truth. It's like water. Do you ever stop drinking it? Well, I drank, a lot. I drank enough water in 2017. 2018, not needed anymore. No, we're going to keep drinking it in. Let's take a look at the next uh, piece of armor here. Righteousness, or what he refers to as the same verse, verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Satan, he wants the entire world to remain in an unrighteous state. Wouldn't you agree? He wants the whole world to remain in unrighteousness. Uh, that would be unsaved, not born again. He wants all people to reject righteousness, you know, God's standard of right living. He wants people to crave mindlessly the things that people are walking in, just the living of this world, the pride of life, as John calls it. Now, this can be overt. Uh, it can be immoral. It can be idolatrous. It can be even deadly behaviors. Or it can simply be people just, they're their own gods. They're generally what we would look on the outside as good people. They're just their own gods. But it can be a range. It can be people that are diabolical to people who are just, eh, you know, religion's for you. I'm a good citizen. I do my own thing. I'm kind of in charge of my own life. And that, that wide range is still the broad road to destruction. Same road. Doesn't matter which side of that broad road you're on or if you're dead center of it. But the vast majority of people don't wake up saying, I want to walk. In righteousness. 
Did you realize that the vast majority of Americans don't wake up every day saying, I want to walk in righteousness? They might say, I want to be successful. I want to have a good year. I want my kids to succeed. But waking up to say, I want to walk in righteousness is only when the Holy Spirit has been deposited in our hearts. That's the only way that happens. To walk in purity and holiness. But if we know Jesus, that becomes the cry of our heart. Say, Lord, I want to walk in righteousness. You won't make that up. The Holy Spirit will stir that up. Many Christians have become misled and confused into thinking that the goal of their life is happiness. Well, the, didn't the Constitution say that? Pursuit of happiness and you know, all this. That, I mean, isn't that, isn't that what it's all about? No, no. God says it's the pursuit of holiness. My people are to be set apart. A holy people, the Bible says. It's holiness that perfects us. Holiness that brings us to God. And by the way, holiness brings happiness. If you pursue holiness, you'll find happiness. If you pursue happiness, you'll not find either. Any standard other than God's is unrighteousness. And so we have to put on this breastplate. We say, Lord, you've already provided. Help me to walk in your righteousness. Lord, uh, help my mind and my spirit to desire this righteousness. And all of a sudden, over time, it's little by little, we stop caring about things we used to care about, and we become more in harmony with Jesus. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Next one, gospel of peace. The footwear of the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, 15, many of you probably have read this, and, and, and Paul, when he quotes uh, here in Romans, he's, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. In Romans 10, 14, 15, he says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And by the way, we've all been sent. Not just pastors, you've been sent. And when you're at your family gatherings, you were there to be a light. All those kind of things. I'm going to fix my little carpet up here. There we go. Uh, we've all been sent. As it is written, he goes on to say, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. We're told to bring the good news. Glad tidings. We have eternal news, right? Eternal news. Eternal peace. Are we taking the gospel with us everywhere we go? He says here, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are we taking the gospel? Historians tell us that Roman soldiers were issued footwear that was unrivaled in its day. They had the best armored footwear of anyone. It's one of the things, they had other things too, but one of the many things that helped the Roman army advance. So you know, they were like a hot knife through butter. Their studded half boots allowed them to travel rugged terrain and to go into very difficult places. They had these studded half boots, and it would cost a lot of money for people that didn't have that kind of uh, you know, materials. But the Roman Empire did, and they outfitted these guys in such a way that they were able to uh, move in these places, rugged uh, terrain. A Roman soldier also needed the footwear for protection against cuts, against injuries to the feet. By the way, if you get injured severely in the feet, it's going to be really hard to stand, isn't it? Much less walk forward, much less engage in the battle. And we're also to take the gospel into difficult places too, aren't we? Your workplace, you've got to go back to work this Tuesday, I think, right? It's always fun, right? They go back there. 
I'm going to love them, Lord. They're not easy to love. <laughs> difficult places. Our missionaries around the world are in really difficult places. Even, even harder places. Some places are harder than others, no question. Some seasons of our life are harder than others to take the gospel. But think about this. Is it possible that a Christian has stopped taking the gospel with them? Or is it possible that a Christian that has stopped it? So take a Christian that no longer really takes the gospel anywhere. Is it possible that they could now end up sitting down and no longer being engaged in the battle? Well, absolutely. By definition, if you had a Roman commander found a soldier that had taken off the half-studded boots and was sitting down, the commander's like, uh, what? Uh, I've decided I don't feel like doing this. You won't live to tell about it in the Roman Empire, right? That, that's just the way it worked. That Jesus doesn't treat us that way. But Satan would say, he would say to a, a Christian today, he, this is what he kind of makes come into their mind or into their heart. Uh, Satan would say, you don't need to fight the battle. You don't need to take the gospel anywhere. You don't need to take the gospel wherever you go. Some other person will do it. Some other person will do it. You just put your toes in the sand, grab a comfortable seat, and pretend that nobody out there needs you. That's all you need to do. Just pretend that everything's fine, that they don't need the gospel, and they don't need you either. You think Jesus is saying that to us? No. He said to put the gospel feet back on your feet. You ever have a kid that takes their shoes off all the time? I know some here in this church. I see them. <laughs> I know who they are, and you know who they are. Put the shoes back on. Jesus would say to us, that he's, we're his kids, right? He'd say, put your shoes back on. Put your gospel shoes back on. When did, you when did I give you permission to take them off, is what the Lord would say. When did I tell you to take them off? Well, I, I just thought that uh, I would take a 10-year nap. That's what the Lord said. When did I tell you that? The Great Commission, he's given us shoes on. The whole battle, the whole unseen battle is for souls. The whole thing on planet Earth. That's what the demonic forces, they're not worried about if you watch this or that, they're worried about souls not coming to Jesus. And if you've already come to Jesus, he want, wants you out of the battle. But Sharon, it's not only for the ears that need to hear, who need to meet the Prince of Peace, who need peace with God, who need peace from God. It's not only for those that are afar off that we need to bring this gospel of peace, Romans chapter 10 there, but it's also having a job to do having the Great Commission keeps us from becoming complacent. It keeps us from forgetting why Jesus came in the first place. We just celebrated the coming of Christ the first advent. He's going to come a second time. The reason the gospel of peace has to be there is it reminds us why we are representing him at all. Did you know that when you exercise and you eat right, it makes you want to continue exercising and eating right? It's a strange thing. You start doing what you don't want to do, then you start doing it and say, wow, I actually now want to do this. And it's the same with sharing our faith. We start doing it, and the Lord says, see, this will keep you engaged, energized, 
We've been given a job to do to keep us engaged, to put us on point in the mission. Perhaps this, we start to think about this in 2018. This is a practical thing we can all do. Perhaps every time you put your shoes on now, you start thinking, I'm putting on the gospel. I'm headed to Target. I'm headed to Walmart. I'm headed to work. Every time you put your shoes on, start thinking, I'm putting on the gospel. Oh, yeah, I could use some righteousness around here. I could use breastplate, all of these things. Now let's take a look at the next one, faith, the shield of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We like to see everything, right? Hey, if I, you ever meet people, say, you show it to me, I'll believe it. Remember, Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have already believed. I've never seen Jesus face to face, but I believe in him more than I believe this wooden pulpit's right here. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But without faith, in verse 6, same chapter, Hebrews 11, without faith is impossible to please him and that him is God. Did you know without exercising faith, there's no pleasing of the Lord? He's looking at our faith. We had to believe on Jesus first, who, as I already mentioned, we've not seen him personally. I was not there at the resurrection. None of you were either. We weren't alive. We weren't there. We didn't see him with our physical eyes. But by faith, we had to believe that he really did come, that he really did die, that he really did raise from the dead. We had to call on him and his grace and mercy by faith. And now... We have to walk by faith. We did the first part by faith. Now we've got to walk by faith. Once we see our sinful and hopeless condition, the gospel, I believe, makes perfect sense. Amen? And when you tell someone, hey, this is what the Bible says. Once, once I really understood my sinful condition, I'm telling you the gospel made perfect sense to me. It was I may have not wanted to step in because I might have still wanted to hold on to sin, but the gospel definitely made sense. Don't let people tell you the gospel doesn't make sense. I, the Bible tell, makes it very clear that men would rather, Romans chapter 1, believe a lie. It makes sense. But men love darkness rather than light, John chapter 1. The gospel made sense. The faith is then on the finished work of Jesus. We say, well, that makes sense. And now we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Wow, if I can't go across this bridge because I don't have enough righteousness to get there, but he laid the cross across, that makes sense that I need to trust in the work of the cross. But post-salvation, here's the rub, brother and sister, here's the rub, but post-salvation, many of the things God commands to us, many things he calls us to, the things he allows us to go through, they don't make sense. Did you hear that? The gospel will make perfect sense. But post-salvation, some of the things God allows us to go through or calls us to go through, those don't make sense. As a pastor, I've had to counsel people for things. I, don't, I can't make sense of it. Much less, the Lord, how do I help them make sense of it? And yet God still allows it, right? But we must obey anyway. Dr. Tony Evans, I love this quote from him. He said, faith does not make sense. It makes miracles doesn't always make sense, but it does do a miracle in us. And I found that to be true in my own life. I remember after I first got saved, 
The first time I shared my faith after being saved, that took a lot of faith. Heart pounding. And all the times after, it's still taken simple acts of faith. And in our marriage, when me and my wife, God made us clear, uh, made clear to us after we've been saved just a few years, he made it clear that we needed to be first fruit givers and started first fruit giving, started tithing. Do you know, by the way, God never intends to bankrupt people who give to him? Do you know he's not looking to bankrupt you? But people that say, I will not give to God, well, he might bankrupt that. But God made it clear. I didn't have any preaching on it, never sat under a teaching. It was in my own Bible study. It was like jumping off the page. God says, you are withholding from me. And I just said, All right, me and my wife, we said, we need to start giving. When God placed on my wife's heart in 1999 to stay home with the kids, and she had a very good career, I was like, uh, I'm not hearing that. <laughs> I started praying. God says she heard it first. She was right. You need to get on with the program here. That's what I want you to do. A few years later, uh, a few years later, we were out of debt. We were amazed. Like, whoa, this doesn't make sense. This is reverse logic, Lord. None of it made sense. When he called us to start coming, I remember when he called us to first start coming. Oh, the faith on Wednesday nights. Mighty people we were. He started calling us, come out on Wednesday night. I, we, we were in the realm of Hudson Taylor and David Livingston and, you know, coming on a Wednesday night. Oh, incredible faith. When I thought, we need to be home resting, Lord. And what about the kid's sleep schedule? Did you know God cares about your kid's sleep schedule? Did you know that he will actually take care of all that? So we started coming. And you know what? The kids got better sleep after a while. Amazing how all this works. When he called us to start the first youth group here, uh, we were like, oh, man, we don't ever have time for that. To be an elder. How will I, Lord, how will I find time to be an elder in the church? There's no time. Have you seen my schedule? God's like, have you seen what I do with time? He did stop the sun once, so he's not really all that concerned with you and I's excuses about time. Then when he called me to take on the role of pastor in 2007, big step of faith, 2012, going full-time, missions, investing, uh, the Lord's called me to invest time in people when I didn't feel I had the time to invest in people. Many times the Lord says, invest in that person. Lord, I can't fit that in. God's like, I'm telling you to do it. I'll, make every, I'll rearrange you the minutes. He does that. He almost slows time down for those that really say, all right, Lord, I'll do it. To try certain outreaches. What if they fail? We're always afraid of failure, aren't we? What if they fail? What will people think if they fail? God says, I don't care what they think, and you shouldn't either. Just do it. The reasons not to are almost always two to three to one, the reasons to. Read the Bible. All the, and Moses said, Lord, I don't speak well. I'm 80. Did you know I'm 80, Lord? This is Moses speaking to God. Did you know I'm 80? Did you know I don't speak well? Did you know Pharaoh doesn't like me? Did you know the Egyptians will kill me? God, look at the list. The guy's like, I already saw that. Cross all those off and go. Faith. Rarely has the financial math made sense or the number of available minutes made sense. But I've often felt legitimately, this is another one that stops us, this applies to Moses there. I felt legitimately inadequate. How about you? 
to the task. Not just the time or the money or anything. Lord, I, I'm not even fit for this job. You might say, well, I could never serve in children's ministry. I'm not fit for it. Well, if you're breathing, God can do the rest, right? <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully you'll be nice. But other than that. <laughs> but faith is that tiny little thread. Faith is that tiny little thread, that small, almost imperceivable thread that says, I can't do it, but God says, go anyway, and you start moving. God says, the rest is up to me. Now the seeds will start to part. I'll go forward anyway. George Mueller was a great man of faith. Look at this quote. Read about his life. Uh, it, I love the little girl that played in his lifetime. She was, was a friend of the family. She said, Lord, give me the faith of George Mueller. Because he was a great man of faith. But he said, faith has nothing to do with probabilities. The province of faith begins where probability cease and sight and sense fail. He came to believe that what we can see is often a mirage. Hebrews 10.38, it says, Now the just shall live by faith. Understand, being wise is a good thing. Budgets are good. You should live on a budget. Time management matters. Loving and providing for your families and having quality family time. All those things are good things. They're a must, actually. But to take steps of faith, doing things that defy the spreadsheet sometimes, investing time we're convinced isn't there, serving in a ministry we feel vulnerable and unprepared for, is precisely what God stirs us to do. Precisely what he stirs us to do. Not all the time, but every so often, he brings another squall across the waters and says, go through it. Well, I, I, I'm not near as equipped. I don't have this. The spreadsheet doesn't make sense. How could I possibly do it? And God says, I'm calling you anyway. Eventually, eventually, everyone's going to have to take steps of faith. Do you know that God could bring about circumstances that will make us find faith that we never knew we had to have? He can do it in one minute, coast to coast. He wants us to start taking those steps now. There's nothing to fear if God is impressing in our hearts, right? There's nothing to fear if God's impressing it. We, we get afraid of the other stuff, and God's like, if I've told you to do it, you don't need to be afraid. He'll only bless it and multiply it in our life. We have to cultivate trust. We have to cultivate uh, belief that the words and the commands and the promises of God are true. We have to meditate on these things. It builds up our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. No matter what our flesh says, no matter what the circumstances say, what other people say, what society says, what the enemy whispers in our ear, all that stuff we have to say, Lord, said go, do, and I will. Next one, salvation. Working our way through, we only have 1.5 more. <laughs> salvation. Called the helmet of salvation. Uh, he says here, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I find it interesting that the helmet is salvation. That the helmet is salvation. You might have read it before. Maybe it struck you. Maybe it didn't. But it's on our head. And what's in our head? It's where our brain is at. It's where our mind is at. It's where all that 
thinking takes place. It's where all these thoughts are rolling around, right? Where right now you're, you're processing, do I have faith? Do I not have faith? Am I taking steps of faith? Am I not taking steps of faith? Our salvation is ultimately the last line of defense. Because the helmet, a head blow, it's over, right? The helmet is our last line of defense. Our salvation is our last line of defense. We can lose everything in life, but our salvation will still be there. Amen? It's safe in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. If everything goes wrong, if you feel like a failure, if you feel defeated, depleted, disillusioned, yes, and those feelings can come on every single Christian at least once in their lifetime. I don't care who you are. Well, I've never had those. Well, don't say that too loud. Those feelings can come on anybody. If we're wanting to give up, to give in, to throw in the towel, stop and for a moment say, hey, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm not spending eternity in hell. Because there is something bigger than this world, and it's eternity. We watched as a family recently, we watch it now every year, A Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Did you guys... Anyone watch it over the holidays? See, Jimmy Stewart, for a while, he doesn't want to be alive. At the very end, he's like, I wish I'd never been born. And you see the change in his mindset when George Bailey comes to reappreciate that he's alive. He comes to reappreciate just being alive. He had not appreciated just being alive. His drafty house is once again a blessing. Even jail doesn't seem like a big deal. Oh, happy New Year, I'm going to jail. Paul had that attitude. Do you and I need to reappreciate our salvation to just say, I'm born again. I'm alive. Not alive like my flesh, but alive for eternity. That you and I have a gift that's worth more than every single thing on planet Earth combined. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 says, so great a salvation. Great. The Bible doesn't, uh, by the way, exaggerate. We use the word great to call all kinds of things that aren't great. Hey, it's a great restaurant. It's not great. <laughs> not, in the, not in the scheme of the universe. It's not. <laughs> great is God. We, 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 atter- we apply terms to things, and, I, and we'll, we'll keep doing it because it's, it's kind of the way we communicate. I get it. I do it, you do it, but, it, but in the truest sense of the word, only God is great. But he said our salvation's great. We need to meditate and thank God for salvation. Sometimes that's all we need to do. When everything else is clouding our vision, we need to say, Lord, let me just meditate the fact that I'm saved, that you're in the arms of Jesus. You see the helmet of salvation, it's the covering of salvation. The appreciation of salvation starts to come back to our mind. It clears the mind and resets the mind. That's why it's on the head. Upon the grace and the hope, that joyful expectation, the future, we remember we have a future, and it's found with the Lord. Now, the last piece of armor that he mentions here, as at least as a piece of armor, and then we have one more, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 17, second part of the verse after the helmet of salvation. Now, human words cannot explain this book right here. Human words cannot do justice to the book that you're holding. For it's the very breath of God in text. God breathed 
and he had men write it down. Hebrews 4.12, you know the passage, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We're holding in our hands a supernatural book. It's the only perfect and supernatural thing you'll hold in your lifetime. It's it. And if it's all beat up, that's even better. That means you're getting into it. It's like a sword. It cuts through darkness. It's cut through deception. It cuts through depression. It cuts through defeat. It cuts through distractions. It has a power that has no limits because it has an author with no limits. Isn't that great to know? This book that Pastor Lewis Neely said, there'll come a time in your life when you will need the Bible and no other book will do. Well, I've been there. Have you? When you other articles, did, even a really great theologian article can't help you at times. You need to directly hear from God. That's why we need the Word of God every day in our life. There's no other growth. Physical food is needed and necessary in this lifetime. Some of you plan on eating tonight, right? New Year's Eve, you've got big plans. You've got certain dips in mind, right? You've got things, it's got them chips, it's got different stuff. The, those aren't needed, by the way, but those are just fun. But, but physical food is needed. But it has severe limitations, doesn't it? It cannot in any way meet the need of spiritual food. As C.S. Lewis profoundly said, and I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're, we're a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. We have to feed the soul and the spirit. The body will starve and collapse without food. The soul and the spirit will collapse without spiritual food. People implode because they're not being fed spiritually. We have zero chance of walking in the spirit of God without continually being fed by the word of God. The Spirit of God is activated by the Word of God. Your spirit is nourished by the Word of God. Not just on a Sunday, although preaching and teaching is in the Bible. The book of Acts starts it, and the, the church is to gather. But, that, but you need more than that. You need to eat daily of your own. Every person in this room says, I don't read the Bible right now. You need to start with two or three verses a day. It'll make a huge difference. Matter of fact, certain blessings will never, I'm going to say this clearly, certain blessings will never happen in your life until you start reading the Word of God. You will have a wall to certain breakthroughs. Chains will not be broken until we say, I need the Word of God as much as I need a bowl of oatmeal. It has to become part of our life. The Word continually feeds our hearts and our minds, and takes us back to the importance of the application of these things, the truth, the righteousness, the gospel, the faith. The Word brings us back to these things. Proverbs says it's a lamp to our feet. Jesus says it cleanses us. Psalms tells us it protects and heals and grows us, so it guides us and it purifies us, and it safeguards us, it heals us, it matures us. The Word of God does all these things. It's powerful. Sports Illustrated can't do that. Blogs can't do that. Facebook posts can't do that. Only the Word of God can do that. There's no substitute for the Word of God in ministering to us and transforming in us the Word of God. Dr. Charles Stanley, he said, I've never seen a man or woman used of God that didn't live an open Bible. Never has he seen a man or woman used of God that didn't live with an open Bible. And that's true. Last one. It's not a piece of armor. But it is. It's not listed as armor. 
I should say. <laughs> Six things are listed as armor, but then Paul says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful of this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We're to pray, we're to pray in the Spirit. Now you have to have the Holy Spirit already in you to pray in the Spirit. But if you've been saved, you've been born again, you have the Holy Spirit, now praying in the Spirit is activated as we drink in the Word of God and we say, Lord, I'm going to talk to you now about what you have just talked to me about. By the way, the Word of God channels our prayer life too. It actually gets us off. Um, I was reading an article about 10... 10 resolutions for mental health. One was stop staring in the mirror and constantly assessing yourself. Stare at God. We, we are guilty of this, constantly assessing ourselves. God says, stop assessing yourself. And he told Jeremiah, stop saying you're a youth. Who told you that? You just look at me and everything else will come into focus. Well, that's a prayer line. It's how we look to God is in prayer. Prayer is how we stay armed. The Spirit shows us in prayer where we're unarmed. Doesn't the Spirit show us, hey, you're unarmed in this area? Oh, I didn't realize that. You haven't put this on. We're walking unprotected. The Spirit will say, hey, you're sitting down. You took off your shoes again. You took them off. Come on, toddler. That's what God tells, speaks to us, right? Because we, we're toddlers to God. Put them back on. Prayer, we're called to stand. Prayer is where we receive our commander's directions. Aren't you glad that we have a commander that's never, ever, ever been defeated in battle? Not one loss. A commander is undefeated in every way. If the armor is what we put on, prayer is what goes in. The armor goes on, prayer goes in. An armed soldier without food and water is of no value even if they have great armor on the outside, right? Prayer is going on the inside. Prayer is our lifeline. It's our communion with God the Father. It reminds us of his his word. And by the way, the more the word is in us, the more we pray the word back to the Lord. Then we're really coming, as Jesus uh, wants us to have, the mind of Christ. Andrew Murray said abiding fully means praying much. He was a great pastor in South Africa uh, back in the 1800s. Abiding fully means praying much. Prayer keeps us safely in the spirit of God in the word of God, in the will of God, and in the power of God. Oh, brother and sister, that we would grow in prayer in 2018. That's why we have an emphasis on it in January, that we make it a focal point, that we grow in prayer, and the word needs to be right there by it. But if we do, if we grow in prayer, the miracles and the breakthroughs will absolutely happen. They will. They will happen. The gaps that God needs to fill will get filled. The servants he needs to raise up will raise up. The souls that we're praying for will come to Christ. We need to pray. It's the very air we breathe. We're called to pray. And yet, take a look at this this last couple of passages I didn't read. Um, Paul says here, well, I did read verse 19, but he says, that utterance may be given me that I may speak boldly. He even asked for prayer here. Not only do we need to pray, we need each other's prayers, don't we? Other people need you praying for them. And you need people praying for you. But you need to be praying. We'll need that. The apostles need... You know, if the apostle Paul needed prayer, we all need prayer. That ought to tell you something. He said, pray for me. We all need prayer. I need your prayers. But I'll be praying for you. You need my prayers. 
I don't know why, but God's made it that way. He's like, we've, he's made us interconnected one way or another. He says, you're going to need each other. And it's true. He goes on. I don't have time to get into the rest of it. You'll have to uh, study these last few verses. Uh, Paul wrote this as while he was uh, in chains. And uh, you see his love in verse 21, his beloved brother and fellow minister, Tychicus, uh, just a love for one another. But look at this closing prayer. We'll look at this. He, in verse 22, he goes, Whom I've sent you this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. And this beautiful closing here, he says, Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And as we close here, it's God's desire that we would do this in the coming year. We pray for one another. But in our own personal, we apply the armor of God and that we would walk in his peace and in his love and his faith. And aren't you glad that last word? And his grace. Every minute of our life is but by grace. It's by grace that God give us, gave us this outline. He gave us the outline to say, you can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can say, I, can I really put on the armor of God? God says, yes, you abide in me. Just like the bark goes on a tree, the armor will go on you. You abide in me, these things will start to, I'll recall them to your mind. I'll show you where you're not putting it on. I'll show you, hey, you're not doing this. But if you do this, say, God, what if I don't have enough faith to take that step? God says, do the little things, and I'll give this faith for the next step. It's one step after another. You actually don't get the faith for 13 steps ahead. You get the faith for the next step. I know we don't like that. We, but I would like to buy a bulk block of faith that will carry me from now to 80. <laughs> Lord, I'd like to buy a bulk piece. It covers everything from 80, and I just grab a little piece out of that, and God says, you can't. No, you get a daily piece of manna. That's the way it worked. You get a little bit of manna each day, faith for that day. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that your word is faithful and true. We want to center it in our life. We want to apply these things in prayer and in, in the study of your word and in the belief of your word. Lord, it's activated by us believing it, receiving it, and saying, yes, Lord, we'll walk in it. And Lord, it's my prayer that each and every person here would apply these things, not just for today, but this whole coming year ahead of us, that we would see you do great and mighty things in battle, and in victories and breakthroughs to the glory of Jesus and to the maturity of ourselves and this church family. It's in your name we pray.